Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. I actually just got done recording another hour-plus podcast with someone who is someone you will definitely be familiar with. I'm not ready to announce who it was, but you will be seeing that in the newsletter once I do it. And so now I'm here to do my own podcast today. Somebody tweeted a clip of a video that appears to have been a news report from 1983 uh, around the first screening of the film The Return of the Jedi. And it got me thinking again about how different things were in the 1980s. I think about this every time I see a 1980s clip. This one isn't even the best at showing it, but it's really informative, and I'm going to use it as a jumping-off point to talk about the 1980s a little bit, and then about how things have changed today. So I'm going to actually try to play this clip. It's from a tweet, so we'll see how the video goes. Hopefully you can all see it and hear it, but I'm going to play this minute-and-a-half clip. All i got to say... The Jedi have returned. We're just fanatics out here waiting on the return of the Jedi. Three years in the making, waiting for this. Some people don't idolize Darth Vader like I do. See, I want him to get Luke. And uh, I think that uh, that Luke will destroy Darth Vader. I guess Darth Vader will die. I'm not sure. I hope he doesn't. I love his black. Balcony seating, hold your own ticket as you enter the theater, please. Move it, move it, move it! Finally, the wait is over. The fantasy unfolds. The biggest surprise was to see all of them together at the end plan, pinochle and having a great time. I wish that was there, and I'm going to try to get a part of the next movie myself. This has left me practically utterly speechless, actually, you know, but it was the best one ever. The big surprise was seeing Dark Vader unveil himself to his son. It was very exciting. The biggest surprise, well, I don't want to give it away to anybody. Do you think it was worth coming to this late at night? Yeah. yeah. Good over to you, always. The movie no, was perfect. It was exactly the way it had to be. It was a fantastic movie, but it was good. It was really, really good. So what are my qualifications to talk about the 1980s? Well, I basically grew up in the 1980s. Actually, I was born in 1969, as I was alive through the entirety of the 1970s. But of course, being a young kid, you don't remember much uh, about your early childhood. I do remember going to see the original Star Wars in the theater, which I think was 1977. But in the 80s, I was in high school and then early adulthood in college. And so I have a pretty good memory of the 1980s. Now, of course, it is shaped by essentially the youth perspective, which is not the only perspective on the issue. It's been widely commentated on that our perception of the 1950s is very heavily shaped by how the baby boomers, who were young, how they saw it. We do not get the mature adult perspective on the 1950s, which would have been quite different. So certainly for someone who was in their 30s or even in their 50s, they would probably have a different perspective on the 1980s but I actually have a lot of personal memories of this, and so I feel like I have some firsthand evidence to talk about things. So what do you notice 
when you watch videos of the 1980s and see people talking, ordinary people especially, but even people and you know, t- you know TV personalities and the like, one of the things that you notice is an almost complete lack of the detached, ironic, cynical pose that is now the norm in modern day America. My wife listened to a podcast uh, about an episode in the 1980s. It was actually about the competition to become the teacher who was going to get to ride to space on the space shuttle. So Krista McAuliffe won, and she was on the Challenger, which obviously exploded, and she was killed. And this was about the people who had lost and what they were saying as they tried to be the first teacher to get to go up into space on the space shuttle. And her comment was, all of these people are so earnest in the way that they talk. We just don't talk like that today. We don't think like that. It gives off a certain air of innocence maybe about it. I don't know that it was truly innocent in any way, but just people didn't have this sort of very detached, very ironic tone. That really came into being in the 90s. We seem to have taken a hard turn into that, and we see it by the end of the decade. In, for example, the personality of John Stewart. There was just a big article in the New Atlantis. I actually tweeted it. You can probably go find it in my Twitter feed, arguing that John Stewart paved the way for Tucker Carlson. The, the personality that Tucker Carlson is today is essentially someone who took his old crossfire personality, but learned the lessons of John Stewart into how to be successful today and did it. Now, you may not agree, and actually I think that uh, Tucker Carlson is really irrelevant to the article. It's mostly about John Stewart. But if we think about someone like John Stewart and just the incredible cynicism that he created, like about the system and about that, by the end of the by the end of the nineties, we're in just a, a truly cynical uh, kind of perspective on the world. That's just completely gone in the eighties. Today, everyone is essentially uh, operating in some sort of detached, ironic register or we're presenting ourselves on social media in just a different way. It's really weird how people just talk so earnestly in the 1980s. It's a kind of a very interesting thing. You also notice, and you know, this isn't necessarily one of my observations, but people made it on Twitter, and, and it's definitely one you see, is America did not have nearly as much obesity uh, as it does today. The people that you see are, by and large, relatively fit. And I think back about people, you know, I went to high school with my, my era, like the people you would say were like the, you know, the, the chubbier ones or whatever, like they're thinner than I am right now. It's really amazing. This incredible growth in obesity and extreme obesity and how it's essentially everywhere. You just don't see that in the eighties. The eighties were also, you definitely see this in the, the clip. The eighties were also still very much a biracial America. America in the media was by and large uh, treated as essentially a black and white country. And Star Wars is kind of a good example of that. You know, it was always this idea that Star Wars was too white. You need to have a black character in it. You need to have some diversity, but the diversity was going to be, reference was going to be black. So they had Billy D. Williams come in as Lando Calrissian, became kind of kind of that character. And uh, you, you also see it uh, in uh, movies like the Blues Brothers, for example, the way that it, that it shows Chicago. 
And so, yes, America did have some Latinos. It did have uh, some Asians. There were other ethnicities there, but it was still, by and large, a biracial country. And even if you grew up in an essentially homogeneously white area like I did, when you looked at your TV, they always made sure there was, like, black representation. But it was sort of biracial. So this idea of this massively diverse country just was not a demographic reality, even in the 1980s. America was a very different country demographically in the 1980s as it is today. And, um, you know, somebody else always said, hey, people talk slower in the 80s. I don't know if that's just true, but, you know, maybe it is. Those people were kind of excited. Maybe they were talking a little faster. The other thing that I really have always uh, noticed and thought about the 1980s is it was essentially the last full decade of mass culture America. This was still when people basically watched the three TV networks. They still basically drank Miller, Bud, and Coors. It was an America shaped by mass market, shared, common culture uh, around a limited offering of products that were industrialized. And this mass culture society probably started to come into being in the pre-war era with Hollywood and with the radio but this is really a product of essentially the post-World War II era. I would say 1945 to 1995 is really the era of mass culture America. Well, in the 1990s, mass culture America completely fragmented. And again, we went from essentially three TV networks to, as the song goes, 57 channels and nothing on, to 257 channels and nothing on. And now we have bespoke curated, algorithmically selected entertainment just for you. We have massively, massively fragmented cultures. Uh, and people, you know, can drink a billion different kinds of beer or a million different things of that nature. And, you know, there's much you could read about in the 1990s around the fragmenting of the common culture. Terry Teachout, uh, the former drama critic of the Wall Street Journal, he has written a lot uh, on this topic. Unfortunately, he sadly passed away last year. Uh, really interesting, you know, kind of conservative, uh, high culture guy. You don't typically see that combination. And a very insightful uh, cultural analyst. And uh, this idea is like the common culture sort of went away. So again, when I was in, in high school and I was in college, Americans watched Johnny Carson and maybe even a minority of Americans watch Johnny Carson. Maybe not that many people actually watch Johnny Carson. Every single person in America knew who Johnny Carson was. And you knew some of his gags. I mean, I actually didn't watch that much Johnny Carson. And even I knew who Johnny Carson was. Well, today there's so many different late night people. I don't even know who they all are. Like, you don't even know the names of a lot of people today because it's so fragmented. Some of the hugest influencers in the world are people you've never heard of. Andrew Tate is a good example of that. You know, I mentioned Andrew Tate, this gigantic men's influencer who racked up nearly 13 billion video views on TikTok. I had actually never heard of Andrew Tate until about four months ago. And he's been around for years. I mean, he was sort of a Manosphere-like figure. So even in an area that I study, there are people with millions of followers that I don't even know. There are all these Instagram influencers. So the world of influence has completely changed today. We are no longer essentially a mass culture country. And I think back to that era in the 1980s, and I can't help but think 
For the median American resident, the 1980s would have probably been a better place to live than today. Now, that's not true for everybody. Uh, for example, there was an AIDS epidemic in the 1980s, so it was not a good time to be alive, perhaps, if you were gay. There was still the gay liberation movement had really not taken hold in uh, major culture. So you could say that there were certain subcultures that would not have liked the 1980s uh, all that much. Also, if you were sort of upper middle class or wealthy, the consumption opportunities in the 80s were very, very limited. You couldn't just go into Starbucks and get a good cup of coffee, much less anything else. You drank Maxwell House or Folgers or something like that. It was, again, mass market products that were often quite bad in quality. You were drinking some watered-down lager beer if you were a drinker. I remember going to Chicago for my office interview with Accenture, which was then called Anderson Consulting, in 1992. And as part of that, they always had two younger staff members take you to lunch because they wanted you to kind of get to know people who'd be your peers. And at lunch, they were giving me the pitch on Chicago. And they're like, Chicago is so awesome. You have to check out this new coffee shop that we have, Starbucks. This was literally a selling point of Chicago that they had Starbucks. In fact, in the 1990s, magazines and newspapers used to do rankings of how cool cities were and one of the criteria was how many Starbucks they had. Cities that didn't have a Starbucks were just, when are we going to get a Starbucks? And, you know, today you can get Starbucks at the truck stop on the interstate. And Starbucks is like déclassé, even. But, you know, in terms of consumption amenities, the 80s were really, really terrible. And it was also uh, a, an era in which information flow was heavily restricted. Yes, there were libraries and stuff, but you couldn't just look up how to do something on YouTube you couldn't just look up someone like me who's going to tell you, oh, yeah, here's the reality of how attraction works between men and women, and here's all the psychological research, and here's all the studies on online dating. We didn't have access to any of that. We had to believe the lies that people told us because there was no access to information. They were telling us things, oh, yes, divorce is actually better for kids because it's better for the kids not to grow up with parents who are fighting. It's better if the parents are happy, then the kids will be happy. And you might have sensed as a child a divorce that that was not true. However, you had no ability to access any, you know, dissident information on that. It was very hard. This was the era of that Herman and Chomsky book, Manufacturing Consent. People really could manufacture consent through the mass media in our society because it was a mass media culture. And you didn't have access to all this online data. Uh, it was there. Obviously, we was also a place where the technology was not nearly as good. You did not have a smartphone. You could say, that's, well, that actually might be better. But all this technology that we have that puts, again, all the music and stuff at our fingertips, uh, we certainly had much, much worse technology. Not that we had no technology. You know, I had a Commodore 64. I was programming computers uh, before I got out of high school, even in this rural uh, place that I went. But the technology wasn't very good. Uh, so if you are like highly educated or you are someone who today gets to enjoy and really likes high consumption amenities, the 1980s would probably have not been very good for you. But again, if you are the median person who is a non-college educated uh, man or woman in the 1980s, you didn't have to worry about dying of fentanyl. You didn't have to worry about opioids. You couldn't get them, right? If you wanted to do drugs, you had to go into some dodgy neighborhoods in the urban area near you in order to pick them up. We didn't have that. 
These were very socially intact uh, places in most of America. We talked about the inner city uh, as, as a place where there was a lot of dysfunction, but the inner city was a relatively small part of America. Now, as we see, inner city America is now the norm in much of America in terms of levels of dysfunction, 40% out of wedlock birth rates, et cetera. Your, your odds of uh, getting the uh, getting married, staying married, having an intact family, if you are not college educated, is increasingly low. Man, yes, manufacturing was in decline. In fact, in the early 80s, there was a horrific recession um, that really hit manufacturing hard. It was not necessarily great to be in manufacturing, but it probably better than it is today. There were still a lot of good union jobs there. Another thing that wasn't bad, though, I mean, I, I got to remember the product quality of like American-made cars was not very good in the 1980s. We had a lot of junk, a lot of low-grade junk, and this gets to the consumption amenities. Nevertheless, we had essentially a socially in, intact um, America, and even with the racial divisions, it, again, I think, uh, the Blues Brothers, the film The Blues Brothers is a good example of that. Really, the aspiration was harmonious integration. And that was what people were trying to show was essentially, uh, you know, there, there would be the cop show with like the black partner and a white partner. And they would, for all intents and purposes, be identical people with only a few little cultural things there. And they were working together and they were doing well. And so that was what people aspired to. It wasn't necessarily an aspiration towards division. Uh, kind of, kind of an elite culture. And again, it's reflected. It's reflected in the culture of that era. And so, for the average person, uh, uh, you know, getting rid of their smartphone, getting rid of the social media, uh, getting rid of the drugs, being less obese, having probably more economic opportunities in a blue-collar world, might actually have been a better environment for a lot of people in the 1980s than it is today. We did not have declining life expectancy. Uh, in the 1980s. And so um, I'm not saying that we need to, we should aspire to go back, and I'm not one that would ever uh, say uh, we have to roll back the clock. That's not going to happen. Uh, there's a lot I did not personally like about uh, living in the 1980s, but it really was a, a different America, in many respects, a much, much more functional America. And part of the dysfunction of America has come from essentially the uh, you know, the, the shattering of the mass uh, media culture, a, sh a shattering of the common culture that America had in the 1990s, the cynical turn that seems to have affected everything, and essentially the embrace by the elite of America of an, as uh, an aspirational culture of division instead of an aspirational uh, culture of unity. So I'll just throw that out there. And, but I would say when you watch videos of the 1980s, watch and see the lack of this ironic, cynical pose. And again, you could say, Aaron, though, the antecedents of all of that actually are in the 80s. They're in hip-hop. They're in heavy metal. They're in grunge. All that stuff started in the 1980s, or you know, some of it even predated the 1980s. Uh, yes, you can say there are antecedents and some of the alienation that's expressed in some of these things. Nevertheless, just a very, very, very different America. Worse in some ways, but better in some ways. And, and it really gives us an opportunity to assent, to sense the transition. What I would say is we went through a 50-year phase in America that was essentially very heavily shaped by essentially a mass media, mass culture society, and now we're in a completely different, radically different era. America today is completely different from 
the America that existed in that 50-year period. And of course, that was different from some of what happened before, uh, et cetera. America's con constantly changing. It's, it's never been just one thing. Uh, but they say Generation X uh, sometimes are the last analog generations. We were the last ones that grew up without the internet, without technology, that we were really f completely formed in a technology-free environment. Again, I was a computer programmer. I had a Commodore 64. I played video games. We had Ataris. We had that stuff. It wasn't totally technology-free environment, but it was very much an analog world uh, that we were in. We're also the last generation that remembers what America used to be like uh, before the transitions from the 90s really hit. So the formative, you know, if, if you don't have hardly, if your memories of the 80s are similar to my memories of the 70s, which is to say I remember a few things, but I wasn't really that culturally aware. It wasn't really formative in my life. Or you have no memories of the 80s at all. Then you have been completely formed by a different American experience and a, you know, a sort of a different technological experience as well. Again, for good or for ill. Uh, but in the 1980s, and look at these videos, it gives us an opportunity to go back and start uh, start thinking about what has changed in our culture. So thanks a lot for listening, and I will talk to you next week.